about 241 years ago, uh, a, a group of us, our forefathers, um, thought that they could come up with a better deal by going independent here in these United States. Now, as a child of serious British, British extract with a British mother, I've got to be careful, and we have a couple of Brits with us in worship this morning, and all the issues we've had back then, you know, we've been sorted out, okay, so we're, 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 good, we're good on this. But 240 years ago, we decided that Georgie and his friends didn't know how to rule, and we tried this experiment in democracy instead of monarchy, and uh, here we are 240 years later, and we're thin on people, we're all celebrating, you're probably thinking about something that you always did as a child in the summertime as the 4th of July weekend took place or something you're going to be doing. Nancy and I just lucked out and made a bid on a little beach place out in Mason County on a lake and we get to go out there and take a peek at it tomorrow. So exciting things happen on this weekend, right? It's a, it's a big holiday. Well, the biblical text we're looking at is, is a parallel big holiday. We're celebrating Independence Day, this day where we determined that we would be self-ruled in the United States and leave the rule of the British Commonwealth, the, the British colonies. In a similar way, the people of Israel had broken free from a horribly enslaved situation. They had it way worse than we could ever imagine in Egypt. And they were delivered from Egypt by the hand of God. And when this happened, Egypt had all kinds of misfortune because they wouldn't let the Jewish people go. And then God parted the Red Sea and these people passed over the Red Sea, passed through the Red Sea. A terrible plague that could have killed everyone passed over the Jewish children. And so you have this liberation holiday uh, called the Passover. And it was a holy holiday, but it was also a political holiday because it had to do with Israel breaking off and becoming its own nation once again. I want to read you this text today because I think one of the highlights in this text, if you think about it, is we see this tremendous holiday set in the ideal of freedom and God-saving history. Then we have a problem with how it's being celebrated that we're going to see. So liberation of God by his people is met by oppression right in the courts of public faith. In, in, in Israel. And you'll see the tension that will come up in our text today. And I think it's going to tell us an awful lot about God the Father and what his priorities are and what his values are and what delights him and what uh, raises his ire. So let's take a look at John 2, verses 13 to 22. Now you remember the first miracle Jesus did. He turned the water into wine and he demonstrated there's, there's new wine. There's a new world. There's a new way, a new kingdom coming. And then right in the middle of the established kingdom on this high holiday, Jesus has this encounter that we're going to see in John that's quite startling. When it was almost time for the Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle sheep and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and he drove them all out of the courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers, overturned their tables, and to those who sold doves he said, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. His disciples remembered that it's written, zeal for your house will consume me. 
The Jews then responded to Jesus, What sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and I'll raise it again in three days. And they replied, If it's taken 46 years to build this temple, and you're going to raise it in three days? The temple he spoke about was his body. And after he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. Lord, speak to us through your word today. Give us a vision of what freedom in Christ is about. Give us a vision, Heavenly Father, of what delights you and what angers you. Show us your order, your way, your truth, and your life. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Jesus, along with good Jewish people, visited the temple two times a year. Everybody, every male over 18, women didn't have to come. You could take the weekend off, ladies, if you want. But the men would have to trudge down this long, dusty, hot road and up this windy hill to the city of Jerusalem, to the temple, every Passover. And then there's other feasts during the year they had to come in to Jerusalem one other time. So two pilgrimages a year for all Jewish males. At this point, Jews were spread throughout many of the countries of the Mediterranean crescent, right? And not all Jewish people spoke Hebrew. Not all of them were Hebrew nationals. And in addition to that, many who lived in these different countries were equipped with the coins and currency of the countries they lived in, like let's say Egypt or Syria, or something like that. And they'd be coming into Jerusalem, and now, here's what they encountered. These booths were set up, and so you kind of had to pay admission to do your holy pilgrimage. Oh, you just walked across the countryside, you came in from 120 miles out, how would you like a sheep? If you were really sinful, maybe you should have a cow, big offering. You're poor, well, you can get away with a turtle dove here, and we'll sacrifice that to God in the Jewish blood sacrificial system. And for the people who were carrying money that didn't fit with Jewish money, they would have to bring it up to these tables, and the money changer would take their currency from their homeland and change it into Jewish currency for Jerusalem. And they would do that for a simple fee of like 60%. You could buy yourself a goat or a ram to be sacrificed for X number of dollars, and you'd buy it, and they'd tell you your sins were forgiven, you can now go to the next place of worship, and you were assuming that somebody was going to take that lamb in, or that goat in, and open its neck and bleed it out as as a sacrifice, and then burn its meat as an offering to God. But what would happen is, You'd pay for the goat, they'd walk around the back of the temple, circle back, and sell the same goat over and over again. And so, in a holiday celebrating freedom, you have this lid of religious oppression taking a place right at the heart of the religious center. And Jesus walks in there, and Jesus is about 30 years old at this time, right? So he's been going to the temple for let's say a dozen years as an adult, and he's seen this over and over again as his ministry begins, he is in such communion with his Father, the God Almighty, that he sees the world now at all times through God's eyes. He's God in the flesh. 
And when he sees this injustice of taking money off of people that are already on the margins, taking advantage of wayfarers and strangers, Jesus just becomes enraged. And these cords that he picks up were probably pieces of rope that led cattle and sheep around. And he sort of wound them together into a, what would be like a cat of nine tails, and he starts swishing it. Now, I, I'm going to say that this was probably not a violent exchange. He was violently angry, and he was cracking these whips, but I, I, I'm not going to be, be saying here that Jesus struck anybody with these whips. This wasn't a demonstration of violence toward persons, but there was a definite affront and violence toward what I'd call abusive religiosity, taking advantage of people on the margins. So the money changers and the sellers of these sacrifices become representatives of everything that is wrong with how the Jewish religious system has evolved. God was hoping to restore a broken creation and move through forgiveness and redemption toward, toward the restored world. And that track of restoration was broken until Jesus came to repair it and restore a relationship between us and God. And when Jesus comes, you can see how far things have gone in the wrong direction. These, there's nothing about coming to the temple with a heart that's come you who are thirsty, come you who are weak. It's all about bring your money. If we think you should be able to afford a cow to sacrifice, that's the price you've got to pay to get in. And if you're a dove person, this is how much you have to pay. If you've got... If, if you're on the, uh, on the euro, you know, you can, instead of a euro being worth a dollar, a euro is worth 10 cents here, you know. But I'm the only official money changer available, so if you want to worship in the temple here, you'll just have to deal with me. And, and this is what's going on. And the whole heart of God wants people's hearts. In other words, the heart of the God story is that he wants his heart to be open to us and our heart to be open to him is really corrupted here. And people are being blocked from worship. So, a couple of things that I see in here that I want to just kind of make takeaways of is, first of all, I think we learn from this text that God loves us deeply. He loves us deeply and equally and desires relationship with us. Not performance, not wealth, not ritual but he wants our hearts. So at the baseline of the story, I see a God who has a great big heart for everyone. And his big heart is broken when he sees the abuse created by these so-called religious professionals or religious money brokers. And there, there's, I hate to say it, but there's, through the history of Christianity, there's stories of people who have abused their position and their faith, abused financial resources. So this isn't some strange story that's never repeated itself. But we see at the heart of this a God who loves us passionately and wants, from his heart, he wants our hearts. Not our performance, not our money, not the cattle we can muster up, not our sacrifices, but he wants us. There's another takeaway here, and that is for me, that one of the things we learn about God the Father here is God is one who rules over the creation he's made. He's made his creation with an order. And when that order is broken, God's heart's broken. So the anger you see in Jesus 
is appropriate at this point because he's coming up against a terrible injustice. And so it's actually God's love that we see manifest in this passage. It's manifest God's love for particularly the marginalized and the poor, his preference for the oppressed, makes this an occasion for holy anger. And, um, you know, I, I don't think in our society we know quite what to do with anger anymore. We don't, we don't handle it well. When we feel anger, we try to deny it. The people who don't deny anger are around shooting everything up or running over people with cars or the whole, you know, you, you're... I don't know about you guys, but if you're driving down the street and somebody cuts you off, I can't even imagine like waving at someone or honking them off or you know going like this or something worse because you never know when somebody will pick up a gun and shoot you out of their own car. You know, this is a, it's, we've gotten really weird and out of control with our anger. But I think there is a place for righteous anger when you see injustice and say, I won't stand for this anymore. I think that's the other thing is that God has a passion for the people that are on the margins. He has a passion that justice be done and that the least, the lowest, and the lost be looked after. And if we don't do that, God is displeased. God doesn't like injustice. And where it exists, it troubles him. It angers him. And maybe we ought to be a little more angry about some of the things we see. Does it make you a little bit angry that there are people that can't feed themselves, can't house themselves, people on the streets of our country with mental disease that can't be looked after for some reason or another? Does that make you mad? Or is that just a curiosity we drive by every day? Well, I look at the heart of God the Father, and I think he sees brokenness in the world and his heart breaks when he sees it when he sees brokenness that's caused by one of us toward our fellow human beings he sees that with a bit of ire he gets mad and I think maybe one of the things we've done in our modern day faith is try to sanitize and domesticate God in such a way that we don't understand a God that could be outraged in the face of injustice. In the face of phony religion. In the face of oppressive spiritual practices. So what I get out of this is that God's cleansing the temple through Jesus here is, an, is an ex, a statement about God's extreme love for us. It's a statement that his extreme love includes enforcing justice and a preference for the poor and the oppressed. And yes, there is anger in God when he sees things that are wrong. And at the end of the day in the story, what we see is that Jesus is declaring a new order. He's declaring a new level playing field. He's, he's crying out for direct access to God. And... Um, He's a freedom fighter at this point in the midst of a world that's being religiously oppressed. So, what can you do with that this week? What is it that if you drive, as you drive around this weekend and in the next week, what are you going to see that you say, this just ain't right? 
And I'm willing to be a little bit mad at this. I'm, I'm willing to be mad enough to want to see this change. And where are the things that you can catch inside yourself? And I do this all the time where I can sometimes wind up being the oppressor. I'm the person behind the table selling the doves. I'm the person behind the table doing the change. Where are the places where my personality, my style, and my flaws vandalize God's good creation? I guess this text gives me an opportunity to look at that too. Do I see my world through God's eyes? Am I treating the people who are on the underside with a preference that shows God's great love for the poor and the lost? So it's a challenging text for me, challenging text for all of us, but the great news is that Jesus Christ, the great liberator, has come to set all of us free. Whether you've been a person who's oppressed, or you're an oppressor, or if you're like me and you've been both, Jesus Christ has come into this world. He's lived, he's died, he's risen from the dead to make you a partner with him in a new creation, to give you his eyes through which to see the world, through which to respond to injustice and act on it. I think that's a fantastic piece of good news as we live our week forward. So, Lord, hasten the day that we grow in our understanding of how you see your world, how you see the things around us. Help us to be angry with the things that make you angry, but not violent. Help us to work toward justice where we see things that are broken. And Lord, help us to be advocates for people that can't be advocates for themselves. And as we come to this table this morning, Lord, we realize that you, Jesus, came into this world as a gigantic advocate for us. That you would come as God in the flesh and show us a new humanity. Show us how to live. Walk alongside of us. And even more, Lord, that on the cross you took care of our sin problem and made it so we don't have to buy doves and sheep and goats and cattle or anything else, but we have just straight, direct access with you in a relationship. We thank you for that. And we thank you that you feed and nourish us in that relationship by your grace, by your love, by your forgiveness. So we come this morning hungry and thirsty.